0: Welcome to the O'Reilly Data Show. I'm your host, Ben Lorica. Before I dive into today's episode, I just wanted to remind you that uh, for the latest in big data, data science, and AI, we have two event series going on. The first one is the Strata Data Conference, which you can find at strataconf.com. The other one is the O'Reilly Artificial Intelligence Conference, which is at O'ReillyAICon.com. In today's episode, my guest is Kartik Ramasamy, who's an adjunct faculty at UC Berkeley and formerly an engineering manager at Twitter, where he managed the team that built Heron, which is an open source distributed stream processing engine compatible with Apache Storm. Karthik has seen firsthand what it takes to build and deploy large-scale distributed systems. Within Twitter, he also worked closely with the team that built Distributed Log. But at the end of the day, he is first and foremost interested in designing and building end-to-end applications. I hope you enjoy this episode. So Karthik Ramasamy, uh, welcome to the Data Show.
1: Thank you. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. It has been a pleasure. And uh, since we have uh, kind of have interacted on several occasions, uh, I really feel uh, great to be part of your show, and I'm all excited for it.
0: So uh, before we dive in into uh, stream processing and uh, all the uh, good work you did at Twitter, let's talk a little bit about your background. So you have okay. a PhD in uh, computer science, I believe. In uh, is it data management or databases specifically?
1: Well, like, uh, I would put it like a databases uh, kind of a mobbed into a more bigger picture of data management today. But uh, our, uh, my, at least rather my PhD was, uh, more focused on, uh, databases and APP systems and, uh, with a core focus on structured data at large scale. So that, is, that has been primarily a focus. So cut, uh, to give some idea about my background. So as, uh, you pointed out, uh, uh graduated out of uh, Wisconsin-Madison with a PhD uh, in databases, uh, and Wisconsin is considered as one of the top-ranked schools for all the data-related uh, research that we have contributed over a period of several years. So we kind of came from the group, and we have been uh, kind of uh, um, bred and brought in that group, and uh, which went on to do a lot of different things, ranging from developing Microsoft SQL Server to Oracle Database Servers to contributing to fundamental research at IBM Almaden and now those people are at the several high positions at even at Google uh Yahoo and um Facebook and even at Twitter so so like uh, so after finishing my phd like uh, I kind of uh, started with a startup because startups have been all this uh, fun part of uh, developing new technology
0: so being a professor was never
1: in the cards no not in the heart because <laughs> the reason why i started is <laughs> In fact, if you look at the whole history of uh, computer science in the last uh, 20, 25 years, it is more startups that is coming up with the more innovative ideas and which is then picked up by uh, research labs and academics, which kind of strengthens that idea, right? So that's why I thought probably like uh, doing a startup is probably where the exciting thing is. I mean, of course, there's a business part. And, all,
0: be- and also, I think uh, you mentioned to me before when we talked uh, that even in grad school, you were a hacker. You, were, you wanted to build things.
1: Yes. I was always a guy who wants to build products. And that gives me the satisfaction when people use it. And... Uh, I mean, uh, we even we built a couple of products. I mean, not products, but more on the research side. Also, I think in terms of product mentality. And uh, so, I was part of the group uh, headed by David and Jeff, who were the props uh, at the time at Wisconsin, where we built uh, these uh, uh, big MPP system, which was eventually acquired by Teradata for in 1997. And uh, after that, again, they, I did something. Uh, related with uh, more uh, BI, business intelligence, kind of these cubing and all the various stuff. Uh, that, again, we got screwed up here because we came up with some cool ideas and research out there. So it's always building product because uh, when you build products, it gives me the utmost satisfaction that somebody's using it and driving some business value out of your technology ideas. Right.
0: By the way, as you mentioned, of course, uh, University of Wisconsin, Madison, you have David DeWitt, but also uh... Some uh, people who later became uh, famous professors have been guests on this show, including Mike Franklin and Joe Hellerstein.
1: Oh, yeah. They're all part of our uh, Wisconsin mafia. That's what we call it. (laughs) And
0: and later on, uh, a couple of uh, friends of mine became uh, professors there, Ben Recht and uh, Chris Chris Ray.
1: Yes, Chris Ray was uh, part of uh, UW faculty. Uh, after uh, I guess uh, David uh, left and joined uh, Microsoft as a senior fellow or more of a researcher. I think Chris A had this stamp of uh, Wisconsin mafia approval, I guess, <laughs> since he was in Wisconsin for a few years before he decided to move to Stanford. But
0: uh, How did you end up at Greenplum? So, for the listeners out there, Greenplum was one of the uh, kind of the post dot com bust generation of MPP databases based on Postgres, and uh, uh, factoid O'Reilly was the first user of Greenplum.
1: (laughs) Yeah, in fact, uh, Greenplum, I came uh, to know about Greenplum through my advisor, Jeffrey Norton, because uh, he was on the advisory board of uh, Greenplum. And he said, yeah, this is a good company. You should look into it. So at that time, I was in a kind of a dual mind, whether to do a startup on my own or join a big company. Uh, Then... uh, uh, One of the VP of And, and, products. and
0: uh, Joe Hellerstein was involved too, right?
1: Yes, I think, I believe that is after Jeff became the advisor, I guess, but I'm, I might not be correct, but uh, that is a sequence I thought it happened, but I, I might be not correct. But uh, yeah, I think Joe definitely was involved as well. And um, so, like, so Jeff is the one who recommended me. Then uh, then I talked to Scott uh, Yara, who was the VP of product management. Then I was upfront with him. Hey, by the way, like I'm trying to explore some startups. Meanwhile, I can uh, be at Greenplum exploring or uh, well, helping you guys, whatever you want, whatever you want me to do. And uh, then uh, it have happened that uh, at Greenplum, I was uh, uh, tasked with um, doing something like uh, how to schedule a query, which is running in a, uh, which is going to run in the database at a larger scale. So at the time, uh, the Greenplum had this uh, simple way of uh, doing query scheduling where uh, you go to every node and say, please uh, schedule this query. On the other hand, uh, the idea that uh, I worked with the chief architect, uh, uh, Chuck, uh, was the fact that uh, we wanted to do something like a tree scale scheduling, which allows you to scale to hundreds and thousands of nodes very easily. And the amount of time it takes to schedule the query reduces by probably like uh, around uh, 75 to 80 percent. So that the moment the query is typed, it's instantly scheduled on a large scale. So that is a three-style scheduling algorithm that I did. And uh, as I just finished the architecture and all the various uh, parts of the under um, design documentation and all the various stuff, then I realized that I we got some funding from government for the proposal that we submitted. And I told Scott, I think I'm going to do a startup. So that's how uh, the next startup that I was part of. It was uh, I
0: By the way, yes. uh, before we move on to, uh, past mm-hmm. Greenplum, can you put in mm-hmm. context for our listeners, uh what uh, that generation of uh, mpp databases how did they fit in so there was greenplum and data. Well, obviously of mm-hmm. course before that there was teradata and then there was data Allegro. so how do mm-hmm. all of these what are these what are the generations of these mpp databases and how did you uh, what was your reaction uh when you first uh saw greenplum because after all you came from uh, academic database back
1: yes yeah, so i think like uh uh, one of the exciting challenges that Greenplum was that, uh, hey, by the way, like uh, the technology that we have worked in academia uh, is really being uh, uh, converted into products because people saw the need. But uh, one thing that I can tell about Teradata was Teradata was way ahead of its time. I mean, I worked or uh, interned at uh, Teradata Company. It's an amazing system, actually, in my view. Uh, so they were kind of the pioneers of MPP system. even though then uh, uh, Wisconsin contributed a lot to the advancement of MPPs because of David and Jeff. Uh, so so from that perspective, I would say Teradata is probably the pioneer in that and followed by some academic staff databases, which is where we developed uh, uh, at Wisconsin two uh, MPP systems. One is called Gamma, which pioneered a lot of the techniques that are uh, still in work today. And then the second uh, system that we developed, what, what we was, uh, what we call as Paradise. And uh, Paradise had a small twist to the MPP systems because it was handling what he called the spatial data. Like if you uh, remember, uh, data with the lat long and uh, where the data is coming from, uh, those kind of, uh, spatial data, uh, that was handled in the Paradise database, which become uh, a little bit more complex than a traditional MPP style. Uh, so, but if you look at the, the evolvement of the MPP style, then uh, after that there was a smaller gap in terms of uh, uh, not much in many companies uh, using it because uh, typically uh, I see that there is a ten-year gap between uh, uh, academic uh, pioneering some idea versus the product coming out of that area, right? So uh, then around uh, 2004 or 2005, I guess the green one started and uh, they started uh, MPP style database systems with the fact that the data is growing. And the key thing that they did is to see whether uh, an MPP system can be sold at a cheaper cost. For example, Teradata, the entry point at the time was very high in terms of dollars. And uh, what Greenplum was attempting to do is, can we take open source like a Postgres and make it as an MPP database system and bring the cost down of entry point for all these uh, various uh, large-scale companies? And that's where the Greenplum was for. And of course, Greenplum had a great exit. Uh, so fighting for 300 million dollars, but uh, definitely like it was an interesting time frame for MTZ. And
0: given the fact- and then shortly after that, you had Hadoop, which was more, which was uh, mainly MapReduce. And then mm-hmm. people started putting SQL on top of Hadoop. Right?
1: Yes, I think like uh, people realized that. Uh, so uh, MapReduce. I mean, MapReduce was a very different paradigm, even though uh, it uh, uh, evolved from the need for processing some kind of unstructured data, right? Uh, because Google and uh, Yahoo and all the folks were collecting all kind of unstructured data in terms of uh, logs and all the various... In
0: fact, well, I, uh, uh, I had Mike Caffarella on this podcast and I was joking with him. I said, in the early days of MapReduce, I saw a uh- tutorial where the person was going... It's very simple to do a join and then five, <laughs> five blackboards later, he had to join. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes, indeed. It was kind of a, the MapReduce is kind of a, just a two stage at any given time, right? So, I mean, MapReduce was good because of the fact that it allowed fault tolerance and other things so that like, uh, when you run a MapReduce job, you don't have to run it in, uh, even if there are some big confidence from. Again, from the start. Instead, it can pick up where it left off, right? So those kind of nice properties it had. But the gap was that the research was hard to use. In The sense like you can't expect people to write programs uh, and debug those programs before they launch a job. They want something very quick, like uh, hey. By the way, particularly
0: particularly in the beginning, it was Java based, so you had to very verbose, right? So
1: yes, uh, so it, definitely yes. So uh, people wanted to break that gap somewhere. And that's why, like, uh, the intergalactic Speak SQL came out. And uh, Hive became popular because uh, it was generating the SQL into a MapReduce job, right? So that's why it, uh, the SQL became popular. Then once the Hive was in and it got well-entrenched in the enterprises, people said, uh, Hive is also too slow. Can we have something where it's more interactive? Like, uh, I give a query, get the result, independent of whether the data is in Hadoop or different systems. And that's why, like a lot of uh, SQL on Hadoop systems were born with uh, something like a Presto, which Facebook heavily uses, and also like um, Impala, which is a era offering of.
0: Uh, no, uh, I, mean, I think I think people underestimated how much uh, uh, how convenient SQL is and how entrenched it is. Right. Yes. Yeah. Hey. So, uh, so, yeah. so in more uh, recent years, you've been focused on real time because you've been at Twitter. Obviously, Twitter is the uh, epitome of real time. And uh, inside Twitter, actually, there's two pieces of open source software that uh, you and uh, your team built. One is Heron, which is a stream processing framework. One is distributed log, which is kind of like a messaging system. So let's take these two pieces of software and for each of them, explain what it is and why did you folks decide to build it? Mm,
1: okay, so let me start with the uh, actually. So as you probably mentioned, Twitter is all about real time. So which means it's highly critical that we have a, a infrastructure that can process the data in real time. And uh, that means it's highly reliable, highly scalable and uh, highly available. So, so these are the various uh, things that we are always trying to achieve for. And uh, looking at the state of uh, whatever we had, by the time I joined, so, so what year?
0: Uh... So let's uh, date okay. this. So what? What year were you guys starting to think about? Uh, or looking at uh, potential stream processing frameworks?
1: So like, uh, I joined Twitter in two thousand thirteen August, and uh, so when we saw, when I joined the first week itself, I found that we were into a lot of issues because Twitter started the stream processing sometime around two thousand eleven, and uh, when Apache uh, Storm was open source and I think for readers, everybody know what Apache Storm is because that was touted as a real-time Hadoop, uh, during this, uh, days. And it went on to become one of the, uh, biggest adopted, uh, software in, in the real-time itself. And, uh, so it was running, it was uh, uh, running inside Twitter for the last around two years at the time. And the amount of uh, jobs that were going into real-time as well as the scale of the real-time jobs were, uh, increasing tremendously at that point i mean we went from say probably a few hundred nodes to a few thousand nodes rather very quickly and once we started expanding a lot of the issues with respect to storm started showing up uh, especially from a scalability point of view and uh, availability point of view and reliability point of view and uh, so i mean i don't want to go into details of all the problems but uh, i can give you a highlight of a few problems so what happened uh when uh when you deploy an environment where uh it's a multi tenant so it used to be the fact that uh uh each topology used to or each real time job uh used to trample over each other and for resources and that became hard to identify if one uh one job as a problem uh it was tripping the other job uh inadvertently, inadvertently. and uh so that caused a lot of issues and uh in addition to that like uh so, Tom was written in a functional language called Closure, which is kind of a like And it was very difficult for the team to kind of ramp up on the language, which is kind of completely new for a lot of people coming from the background of uh, object-oriented and functional, sorry, or more uh, procedural programming. So, it's a kind of uh, a bunch of... Uh, in addition to that, there were other PC issues and provisioning issues and all the various other stuff you, uh, uh... that we...
0: Did you guys take a uh, look around what's available and then decide, okay, so none of what's yes. available on the open source uh, addresses our needs. Let's just uh, go ahead and build our own. And then you decided to somehow make sure you were compatible with Storm, right?
1: So we thought about that. I mean, in fact, we explored uh, at the time, Sam was uh, one of the guys uh, available in the open source. So one of the main problems that uh, we had with that was it didn't have the notion of a job. A, a job is actually a, a DAG for us, like which is more of a multiple uh, nodes uh, connected with each other in the graph. And uh, so is like one component is a job on its own. Uh, so there's no notion of a DAG kind of execution. And also then we have to write the whole API on top of it because remember when Twitter is running a lot of machinery on top of the Storm API itself, right? Uh, which is very hard to move around uh, unless we have a system that is compatible with that API. So then we looked around, uh, so sometimes at the time, then it did not work. So then after that, uh, whether to uh, in, uh, contribute to the storm itself, fixing all the problems that we faced. But uh, one of the thoughts that we had was uh, we have to change a lot of things fundamentally different. And uh, so the team weighed the cost about uh, if we are going to change fundamentally different, should we go with an existing code base or develop a new code base? And we thought that uh, yeah, doing a new code base uh, will be able to get it done very quickly. And the team was excited about it, and uh, that's what we did. We got it done in like uh, eight months. So, eight to nine so, months. So, uh,
0: so for people who have never been involved in a transition of this scale, so how do you mm-hmm. take how do you take something like Twitter and somehow mm-hmm. in in in, in flight change uh-huh. your stream processing system from Storm to Heron, or, or is this something you guys did uh, gradually?
1: Well, it was uh, one of the quickest migration ever happened in the history of Twitter, I think. So because remember, like uh, we were hit by uh, uh, Storm was hit by a lot of failures, and uh, the pages means we have to be awake in the night, like 2 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m., whatever the time that uh, you mentioned, we probably would have been up. Uh, so, so there was a strong incentive to move to a new system. And once we proved that the new system is highly reliable and the uh, reduction in the amount of uh, pages around by 10x, right? So people thought, okay, I have to move to this because we created a, a compelling uh, value for them so that people can move it. And also the main aspect is we made it very painless for people to move. All they have to do is recompile the job and launch it on the new one. That's all they have to do. Nothing. Uh, they don't have to do anything else at all. So be- when we make a system like that, then people are just going to okay. Let me go in and give it a shot. So they just compile it, launch it. Then they say like oh, for a week it has been running without any issues. Hey, it looks good. I'm moving right. So we got the migration done of the entire the real time system from transition to Storm in just less than six months. Wow, that is like uh, amazing because uh, all the teams cooperated with us and uh, it was just amazing that uh, we were able to get it done in less like, than six months uh, and achieve a level of reliability that uh, we never had
0: with Storm before. So so you I- improved reliability. Uh, I assume mm-hmm. you guys uh, improved uh, or increased throughput. The initially,
1: initially, our goal was to uh,
0: achieve the reliability because that is one of the
1: major pain points. And uh, as a side effect, we got better throughput and latency also when we tested it. We didn't even make an effort to even optimize CRM in any way the first set of code that was returned it gave a much better performance than what storm was at the time so since reliability was more important we launched it then over a piece of time or rather like uh, just uh, last august we said okay let us see how much we can really push the uh, system uh, in terms of improving uh, throughput and latency wise um so we found out that by just doing a few low hanging fruits like uh, uh, reducing some deserialization or reducing some few copy of the data, we were able to achieve other 5x to 6x and um, that number we will uh, announce it probably in the blog or sometime uh, later this month or uh, early next next month in April. And uh, so that was kind of surprising for us in the sense like uh, we were able to achieve uh, uh, these high throughput and low latency with some few th- tweaking. And uh, uh, just to give a glimpse of what are the numbers that we're looking at, we can achieve around 13 milliseconds on a three-stage uh, job uh, going from uh, A to B to C, something like that. So like so that is that is like really uh, great, uh, uh, what do you call, uh, result that we got so far.
0: By the way, I noticed that uh, mm-hmm. at, at Strata San Jose next week, uh, uh, so by, yes. the ta- by the time by this airs, uh, Strata San Jose would have been over, but uh, there's a Heron talk by Microsoft. Yes. So it's no longer just Twitter.
1: Yes, it's no longer in Twitter because uh, there's quite a few folks who started already using it. So uh, th- that's why we are collaborating with uh, those companies who are using it at this point. And uh, some of the research ideas and the other ideas that uh, uh, we come across in terms of uh, uh, pooling all our uh, experiences together, uh, we got a bunch of new ideas and that's one of the ideas that was born uh, when uh, we were working closely with Microsoft. And that is the idea to so how to uh, scale the jobs automatically and uh scale it down whenever it's not being the resources are not being used and uh, that uh, uh, gave to a paper as well as uh, a nice talk at uh starter which uh, which uh, kind of solves one of the bigger pain points of uh, what uh, a real time system needs
0: actually so are you are you is the heron team mostly uh Getting users from the Storm community, or are you going beyond the Storm community at this point?
1: So, I mean, we are not. Uh, I mean, uh, specifically uh, going after building a community yet, because we don't have a concerted effort in the sense. Like whatever we do, we'll put out the uh, open so into the open source, and uh, people tend to pick them on their own. Because uh, currently, like uh, uh, we are heads down on uh, uh, developing a lot of features on. Uh, uh, herein, so that it's going to be useful not only for Twitter, but for uh, folks outside as well. And uh, so, and uh, I, we see a lot of cases where there will be some people who have experienced pain point and storm, they're kind of uh, moving into. So, uh, people have been using that, uh, as a storm, um, uh, replacement. And also, there are some times people have been using it for, uh, other things like uh, new use cases where the latency and the throughput is, uh, uh kind of uh required uh, for whatever the needed
0: applications for i see i see so mm-hmm. all right so distributed log uh mm-hmm. people will say well uh there's apache kafka which is uh mm-hmm. wide, widely used why did twitter mm-hmm. build its own messaging system so you can look at it
1: like whenever uh, we started distributed log and distributed log also is in production for uh, uh around uh, three years so which means like. Uh, Development must have been started at least four, four and a half years ago, right? So at the time uh, when we were using Kafka, we ran into a lot of issues in terms of what you call uh, durability as well as the ability to serve uh, data for uh, high fan-out themes. So essentially, like if uh, some uh, data themes were being used by several jobs, and if some job is falling behind, and uh, that leads to a lot of issues in terms of affecting other perfectly running jobs. And uh since uh, Twitter said uh, there are some, uh, like a very few uh, very few popular data sources within Twitter which are being used by several jobs it's a big pain point for us at the time. So then we decided that we have to build a new system, not address all these various issues, and that is when distributed log was born and the distributed log was uh, more generic in the sense like it's purely a more a logging a system from a in a, from a distributed fashion by replicating or by replicating the logs or partitioning the logs in the, some fashion into more of the log segments or whatever it is. And uh, then the idea is to build uh, applications on top of So, like uh, if you look at say, Kafka, Kafka is a pure PubSub kind of a system. And PubSub is what we call as an application on top of distributed logs. And uh, you can even think about using distributed logs for uh, something like uh, two key value stores uh, running in two different data centers and if you want to migrate that data from one key value store run uh, system running in a, one dc replicated to another uh, key value same system key value store running in a different uh, uh, dc but you, you can use distributed log for that where the logs of the committed transactions on the key value store on one dc will be propagated to the other dc that's all well. so
0: is, so, uh, is, so is this distributed log does it fill the role of a pub sub system too
1: Yes, it also serves as a pub sub system. It's also the cross cross center data replication. It also used for uh, some amount of data to store for search as well. So it does a lot of variety of different applications uh, than what uh, Kafka does today. So that's why like we have been very happy with it so far. And in fact, to give some numbers, we clear around uh, uh, the amount of uh, data replication and other things is equal to twenty petabytes a day and 2 uh, trillion even per second, we handle in the distributed log. So that way, it's kind of amazing. Like uh, uh, we have a team, an awesome team, uh, kind of supporting that and uh, moving the needle. But uh, it has been uh, really a good investment for us.
0: So, you, so as I mentioned earlier, Heron has mm-hmm. has mm-hmm. gone uh, beyond Twitter, being used at mm-hmm. Microsoft. What about mm-hmm. what about distributed log? Are there non-Twitter users? So I think
1: there has been uh, uh, some uh, talk about. Uh, uh Alibaba is uh, looking into it, Boyle is looking into it as well because to uh, see how they can use distributed log and what scenarios they might be able to use it. So there are some talks about uh, how to improve it. And I, I came to know some university at uh, in China. I don't know the name of the university. Uh, they are working on a completely, uh, uh, what do you call, more advanced uh, transactional systems on top of distributed log as well. And I think we will come to know more in detail probably in April or May time frame. But they have been really
0: hard at work, it seems. That's, that's why your team uh, is so happy to talk and give tutorials at Strata Beijing.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Awesome. Like, uh, that was, I think mean, that was a great idea by you, Ben, not me. <laughs> so And we are excited about, uh, uh, in fact, your idea of having a Twitter real-time stack, uh, because, including log and... Uh, Karen, it's a great idea to say how we do uh, real time from end to end in a kind of a, a fashion which is highly reliable as well as uh, satisfies diverse set of obligations.
0: Actually, speaking of which, right? So uh, you you've always talked to me about real time as being end to end, which is which it is. But mm-hmm. you know, sometimes when I do talk to people who are working on fr- on frameworks, and mm-hmm. obviously obviously their framework maybe capture po- captures part of that pipeline. So then uh, mm-hmm. there's their focus is all on all the features and guarantees of what the framework provides, but it's not end to end at that point.
1: Yes. The, that is one of the uh, things that I always find it bothering because if you do end to end, there are a lot of interactions between the frameworks and the uh, the storage and the post systems and uh, uh, the data system that you, uh, the result system that you store the data with, because there's a constant interaction between all of these guys in a subtle way. And if you have something which is end-to-end, uh, which can react to those kind of situations, because I can give you one example, like, uh, uh, for example, if I wanted to say, like, I wanted to uh, expand my job because I see an increase in the, uh, what do you call the data that is arriving. Now, how do I know that? Because I need to hook it to a data system which is pumping data into my framework so that I know when the data is increasing, right? And also, like if the data is increasing, can I increase myself so that uh, I can absorb all the data at the rate which is that uh, is being uh, driven at, right? So these kind of uh, subtle interactions are there which you cannot uh, do when you have a complete uh, separate what I call a P5 solution, you know. So that's very important when you do end-to-end. And uh, I mean, to give an example of an end-to-end system, like uh, if you look at the uh, second generation streaming, like uh, uh, Streambase and uh, some of the Stanford Steam managers, as well as Aroga Borealis, those kind of a system. Kind of a... How about Travizo? Travizo, yes. <laughs> so these are all end-to-end uh, systems in some fashion where they know the data, uh, then the, the data is stored into that system, then they do all the analysis, then the results are also stored back into the system. So that people don't have to stitch together. I mean, look at like uh, uh, how many people will uh, uh, require uh, so so many teams with a different expertise. Some people might exactly. not be able to afford yeah, yeah. it. Exactly. Uh, so you,
0: you need you need you need a team to manage this framework. Yes. And then another team to manage the next part of the pipeline, which is another framework. Yes. Right. So.
1: Yes, so it's kind of hard. I mean, of course, uh, at Twitter we can afford it, but uh, other folks might not be able to get the expertise. Even they might be able to
0: afford but, but, it. But oh, I, I guess the other thing that I wanted to emphasize is, uh, you, you're one of the people when you talk about streaming. You talk about what you need, but you always think about of it, think of it as uh, what you need from end to end, not just mm-hmm. one, not just one stage, right? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I
1: mean it. Uh, the reference there is a need for something end-to-end, and even within streaming, also like uh, the frameworks has uh, implemented a, a bunch of new features that is kind of advancing the state of the art of streaming, like uh, adding exactly once, and uh, uh, probably like uh, even uh, querying results as well as uh, the ability to do what he calls scale uh, when the job is sees uh, more data around. So, I'm, uh, definitely this is uh, kind of advancing the art quite a bit. But the thing is, like, uh, again, I would like to see something which is kind of wraps everything end to end. Uh, that way, like, it's not only streaming. And the, another thing that, uh, that might be interesting is, like, uh, some kind of a system where the MapReduce or probably a batch kind of system are becoming, a kind of a special case of streaming, right? Because streaming is a general uh, that's, case. Uh,
0: that's happening now, though, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's kind of happening, but, uh, still, uh, um, people say that uh, you have to compile the job differently, right? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I want one job, whether to run a batch mode or a streaming mode, it should be an option during submission of a job, right? So something like that, right? Where, hey, I run it in streaming mode, I run it in batch mode, I don't change code, right? So that is a level of uh, usability that you like to provide for uh, a streaming system so that uh, we can have one single system, one single job can be run on different modes.
0: By the way, speaking of end to end, what do you think about the managed services in the cloud? Stitch together managed services in the cloud. So, if, for example, in, in Amazon, you you may start with Kinesis and pass it off to whatever uh, uh, stream processing framework they have, and so on and so forth, to storage and, and so on.
1: Yeah, so again, it is uh, as I think, uh, as I see it. I mean, I uh, honestly like I don't have much experience with Kinesis and all, but uh, the way uh, the, from looking at it from a from a bird's eye uh, view, it's still again it's a piecewise uh, solution. Like a Kinesis is one, steaming system is another one. Probably some kind of dynamo DB, where you write the results is one, then dashboarding is another solution. Right? Again, these are all different services. You are throwing the complexity to the user saying that, hey, by the way, you go and set your service in whatever the way you want. So this might be good if you know the individual pieces uh, deep enough, how that uh, shapes the behavior of each of those services, right? So, But again, like uh, if there were a system which is kind of end-to-end, which is pieces was a single service, or give the illusion of a single service, that will be even much better for uh, novels and even uh, uh, SMB, small and medium businesses, where... Uh, a lot of people don't have, cannot afford their expertise, right?
0: Right, 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 right. Recently, last fall, you taught a class at UC Berkeley uh, yeah. to undergrad. So, what was the title of the course?
1: So that was the course was uh, Introduction to Database System in the CS department.
0: So I'm sure this course is very, very different from the same course you took when you were a student. <laughs> <laughs> Things have changed so much, huh? Okay. Well. Are you calling me that I'm old enough to... No, 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 no. Things things change Ah. so fast now, man. I I know, I know. I'm just joking. (laughs) Uh, But
1: anyway, yeah. um, So one thing that I found out uh, when I was talking to Joey about one of the contents of the course, and uh, when I looked at the whole content that Joe Ellestin had uh, done the previous year, so we did uh, find out that uh, uh, the introduction to the course has to change, because most of the people today, they talk about big data and uh, all the various uh, other new frameworks that people, uh, that are which are open source quite a bit, like uh, uh, Spark, Hive, and all the various uh, Presto and all the various systems, right? So now the thing is, if you wanted to get people excited about this course, you can't say like, oh, it's just a database system, right? So one of the thing is, like the way we structured the course was, hey, by the way, you have been hearing all these various uh, cool systems and other things in place do you want to really understand those systems? If you want to understand those systems very well, first you have to do what is running on a single system in, in detail. And uh, so that is the way we place it, in the sense like uh, so in the, under the context of a uh, notion of big data framework, you need to understand what can be done on a single node or a single system like uh, MySQL or a Postgres and how that gets layered in terms of internally, in terms of the various components like uh, ranging from how the data is stored, how the queries are planned and how the queries are optimized and how the queries are executed. Once you understand these fundamentals, then it's easy to pick up and add your uh, understanding of the other big data framework. So when we put it into this context, so we were able to motivate the students and still introduce the fundamentals because fundamentals on the data processing systems like query processing, query engines, those things have not changed that much. Then we also added something what we call as a guest lectures. I mean, you know, like, uh, there's so oh, many I, companies. I know, I
0: know that trick. That <laughs> means basically you don't have to prepare yourself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's out, you know. <laughs> but it's like uh, we wanted to give the students the perspective of all oh, No, it's, Im-
0: it's important, especially, you know, take advantage of the fact that you're in the Bay Area, right? That's always uh
1: advantage of being at uh, either at Stanford or
0: Berkeley, you know. <laughs> you have all so, you have m- some of the main contributors to the open source projects here right so so
1: so that way like we had a uh, talk about uh, spark we had a talk about presto we had a talk about uh, uh what do you call the like, key value systems like aerospike how they do it then we also
0: talked about uh,
1: herring so all these new systems oh, good, that they good.
0: Came... i was going to ask you that so did you bring in streaming into the class yes
1: that was one lecture actually and we also did a lecture from uh, Snowflake, which is Essentially, giving uh, uh, an idea about how to separate uh, storage as a compute which is what the clouds are uh, promoting how that could be you leveraged in a uh, data processing environment with snowflake they' done an amazing job and uh, so so we brought in all those uh, new systems into place uh, so that students are motivated to learn further about how exciting this data space is and how whatever they have learned in that uh, core can be stretched into different Systems, right.
0: So do you did you explain to them, so how do you evaluate and compare systems against each other? Is that part of the course?
1: Unfortunately, it is not because uh, that goes into the complete, uh, uh, what we call as a benchmarking system, right? Right, 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 right. <laughs> so benchmarking is uh, completely a different ball game in the terms of what uh, are the queries, one of the uh, uh, different type of workloads that you have to submit. And uh, I wish it was a grad course. If it was a grad course, yes, definitely would have taught it. But uh, since already there is so much overwhelming material that we have been trying to cover uh, for uh, undergrads, like a third year, fourth year this year grad student. So we thought uh, it might be even overwhelming. I think I thought that uh, probably the uh, amount of material that we covered probably was a little bit overwhelming. But uh, the uh, uh, Berkeley students were like so smart that uh, they were oh, I'm, I'm really sure open-minded. Like-
0: um, yeah, I'm uh, sure they were. I'm sure they were happy because you guys were like, uh, you know, leading practitioners with actual uh, use cases and experience using all these systems. By the way, in closing, I wanted to uh, get your thoughts. Now that you've been at Twitter a few years, you had notions going in, but now after spending a few years there, what would you say are some of the key elements of modern large-scale streaming architectures? So, I think, like,
1: uh, mainly it depends on the use cases. I mean, uh, see, I have seen use cases where people run the, uh, what you call it, machine learning, where you do model uh, enhancements all the way from uh, pictures, uh, photo classification to uh, processing log data versus uh, even doing some kind of real-time business intelligence and all, right? So, the choice of the streaming architecture and other things is primarily driven, going to be driven by what are your use cases? Do you need uh, some results quickly and uh, have accuracy a little bit later? Or do you need some kind of little bit reasonable accuracy uh, in the initial stages? So these are the various considerations that you have to take into account before you can see what kind of solution will work for you. And also, like one of the key things that a lot of people uh, try in open source or forget is operationalizing a system. It's
0: oh, yeah, not... yeah, yeah. That's right. That's so, right.
1: It's not very easy to do that, especially when it comes to real-time operations. Is one of the biggest uh, thing that you have to give importance to because uh, sometimes, time, so, so,
0: sometimes as a developer or architect, you just go you admire your handiwork yeah. and then hand it off to an ops person.
1: <laughs> that becomes a nightmare, especially when a real-time job just lags when it runs slow or uh, some uh, it got carried into something like a bad host or bad. Uh, machine, people just hey, my job is not running, right? So you need to give enough visibility, especially at a large scale running the streaming and uh, real-time job, it requires a huge uh, upfront investment on operations. And uh, so the, the operations we still learn and uh, we still uh, uh, we have been doing that uh, whole uh, streaming for last uh, six years, but still we are in the process of learning uh, something come, new come up, comes up all the time. So the day when uh, a real-time job can detect everything on its phone and uh, react to, to its situation on its phone without any manual intervention at all. That is the day that I would say the streaming has really dawned.
0: By the way, uh, there was as as uh, as we have been discussing this. I just got reminded, right? So the in the post dot com bust, there was also this generation of streaming startups, as you said, Streambase, Treviso, that came out of academia. So the, mm. so there was a lot of interest in academia around real time and streaming and mm. Mike Franklin and Joe Hellerstein explained this to me as you know back then they were already talking about IoT and so they uh, so the streaming was motivated a little bit about the interest in IoT but now mm. do you is there still academic research on streaming or is that all in industry now
1: There are some parts of people doing some research in streaming but the academia has not picked up the, I mean, so according to Mike Franklin, uh, the, when he gave a talk at VLDB 2015, he kind of divided that entire scheming into multiple generations. I think, according to him, we are in the third generation, actually. Uh, so uh, uh, he was one of the talks. It's so the third time a charm, you know. So like the first time people tried it, and uh, there were small kind of applications that were used in the first generation, like more of uh, what we call active database systems. And the second generation, where it's primarily focused on uh, the small streaming with an SQL as a front querying end, right? Those were the kind of uh, advancements that was made, and again, that came out of research with a very, very uh, narrow focus of tackling more of the financial industry use cases, right? Now, in the third generation, uh, we found much more broader use cases ranging from social media data like Twitter, uh, and which in turn do uh, uh, does all kind of trending computation even ad predictions and all the various things that have to happen in real time. so it blow up the number of use cases uh, in, in, even in the uh, social media.
0: But now we're really in the tsunami of data with IOT Yes,
1: IOT is the next broader use case where uh, the data is going at the, coming at a big velocity like so think about the amount of data that is being collected at cars. So
0: think yeah, about exactly the... exactly. you might you won't be able to upload all of that in the cloud. you have to do some computation at the edge.
1: Yes, so that's where the Cisco talked about a lot of the false computing, right? Where hey, you process some data at the edge, like uh, the noisy data and other things, and some some important data you uh, stream it up to the cloud, right? So the stream processing is required in some cases on the edge itself, and some cases at the cloud itself. So it or it could be a combination of both, and uh, so there is all kind of uh, uh, requirements for streaming across the board. I mean, then the next kind of application is anomaly detection, as well as what do you call them? The fraud detections and all, right? Which are
0: being yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so really go into kind of intelligence and um, online learning.
1: Yes. So, so the online learning will be a big field probably in another year or two.
0: Right, right, right. Cool. This has been great, uh, mm-hmm. Karthik, and uh, thank you again for your time. Yeah, thanks, Ben, for having
1: me. It has been a really pleasure talking to you.
0: Don't forget to check out our two conference series, StrataConf.com and o'reillyaicon.com. You can follow Kartik Ramasamy on Twitter at KartikZ. Thank you for joining us. If you like the show, you can subscribe through iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn.com or SoundCloud and never miss an episode.